But today we're thinking about the simple idea of satisfied. We're thinking about this idea of could it be that we could be satisfied in who God's created us to be? Could it be that we could find out what we were created for? Could it be that instead of always being angry and upset and uptight and and disconnected, could it be that God has something for our lives and that as we lean into that, we would be satisfied, we'd be fulfilled, we'd be at rest with him. One of the things I heard a friend say just a couple of weeks ago, he said, fate is a terrible author. I thought that's a powerful line because what I've found is that so often we lose sight of direction. So often we get distracted by everything and everybody else. So often, instead of living by design, we begin to live by default. Instead of having a clear sense of vision and where we're supposed to go and who we're supposed to be as Christ followers, we end up, instead of listening to the instincts of God inside of us, we begin responding to the impulses that we feel. And we end up wandering. We end up drifting. We end up wondering, man, I don't, I don't have a clear sense of my future. And I don't have a clear vision for my marriage. And I don't have a clear vision for what I'm supposed to do in the role of kids. And I don't have a clear sense of what I'm meant to do and what I'm meant to be. And what happens over time is we fall into this victim mentality where we think, well, whatever's going to be is going to be. Whatever's going to be is going to be. I'm just going to get by. I'm just going to get by. And I just want to remind us today that God wants to invite you into co-writing the story of your life that isn't settling, it isn't second best, it's not some backup plan, no matter what your past has looked like up until this point, I believe that you've actually got agency, that you've got the power of choice, that God himself living inside of you gives you the ability to make decisions based on who he wants you to be and what your vision for your life is, that God has something big for you. He's got a plan for you. He's got something you're meant to do. And it doesn't matter what grade you're in. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. It doesn't matter if you've got a past that you wish you could forget or you've got something pristine in the past. It doesn't matter. What matters is that the moment that we know better and the moment that we say, God, I want to do better, that we can invite him to help us to make decisions every single day based on who he wants us to be. And this, this truth is for anybody. This truth is young and old. This truth is for any race and any gender. It's true for people in the room and people that are watching online and people that are watching a week or a year later. This truth is true, but I really feel it today, especially for our men today. That God has placed so much potential and there's something that he's placed inside of you to do. And yet if we're not careful we'll end up drifting. And instead of being satisfied, we'll be dissatisfied with life. And so what I wanna do this morning is I wanna use a really negative example. Let me just go public with that already. I'm gonna use a really 
negative example today to try to teach this positive truth that God's not finished with you, that God wants to do something in your life. And here's the negative example. It comes from the Old Testament book of Judges. I don't know when the last time you hung out in Judges was, but in Judges chapter 13, we meet a man named Samson. And so if you have a Bible and you want to follow along, go ahead and be finding Judges chapter 13. Or if you have the Bible app, you can pull that out and you can follow along as well. If you have the Sugar Hill Church app uh, and you go to resources and message slides, you can find most of the verses there today as well. But in the Old Testament, there's a book called Judges. This was a unique season in the nation of Israel where they didn't have a king, they didn't have a political ruler. And what happened over and over and over again in the book of Judges is there was this pattern of walking away from God. It was this pattern of trying to figure it out themselves. And so here's what would happen in general in the book of Judges. And in fact, one of our small groups is going through the book of Judges uh, this semester on Wednesday nights. But in Judges, essentially what happens is the nation of Israel wanders away from God. They become self-sufficient. They become self, hey, I've got this figured out. I'm gonna do my own thing. And so what ends up happening is they walk away from God and they end up living in sin. And because God loves them and he has a plan for them, he knows that living in sin is not his plan for them. And so he allows them to come under attack from the enemy. And so throughout the book of Judges, you see different types of enemies that show up. And then somewhere along the way, when the nation of Israel is desperate, they're at the the end of themselves. They're, They're in the pits, so to speak. And they're like, God, where are you? And why are you letting the enemy attack us? In the middle of that moment of desperation, finally they cry out and they say, God, help. And so God raises up a judge. This is not an official position in the nation of Israel, but it's somebody that's not like Judge Judy, who, uh, anybody else like Judge Judy? Anybody, is that just me? Yeah, me and my grandparents and four of us, I like that. But uh, not like Judge Judy or Judge Wapner, the people's court back in the day. This was a deliverer. This is somebody that God would use to break them free from the enemy. And so God would raise up a judge to help break them free. God would break them free. They would make this big promise, God, we're never going to walk away again. God, we're never going to walk away again. And then guess what would happen a few years later? They'd walk away again. And since they walked away and they'd live in sin again, God loved them. And so God would send another enemy to, to, to bring havoc on them. In the middle of that havoc, God used that negative situation for them to cry out, God, would you help us? And so God would send another del- judge to deliver them and they would be delivered. And they'd make God a promise, God, we're never going to do that again. And then a few years go by and you see this pattern, this holding pattern over and over and over again. And chances are, as I'm describing that pattern, maybe you see that in yourselves as well, where, where we do a similar kind of thing, where, where, where we disconnect from God and we do our own thing. We're like, man, I don't really need the church anymore. It's been six months. I don't need to come back. Or I, I, I've got this sort of figured out. I've, I, you know, everybody else is suffering through this, but I've got it figured out. But then we come to the end of ourselves. There comes this moment. Maybe it's being laid off and and you're trying to figure out what does that mean? Or maybe it's some health scare and you're trying to figure out what that means. Or maybe there's something else, but in that moment, we begin to look up again. God, would you help? And then if we're not careful, we'll come back to God and we'll say, God, I'm gonna make you this big promise. I'm gonna come every single Sunday. I'm gonna give even more and I'm gonna serve in our kids ministry and I'm I'm gonna help with Sugar Hill Beyond. I'm gonna do this, this, and this, and this. And then if we're not careful, we'll begin to drift again. And somewhere along the way, someone or something or some position or some other thing besides what God has for us becomes more important. And we find ourselves drifting, 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 drifting. And we end up in the same pattern 
My friend calls it the killer loop of the Christian life where, where you get stalled out, where you don't make any real progress. And the, the reminder when it comes to this idea of being satisfied, the reminder of this idea that God wants us to co-author with them the story of our lives is that oftentimes we're our own worst enemy. And that's true of Samson. I wanna show you some big ideas around the life of Samson to help all of us, myself included, to snap out of this pattern. If you got something to write on, something to write with, I invite you to jot these down if you wanna follow along in the app. But number one, what we see about Samson in Judges chapter 13 is number one, he was created with a unique design. He was created with a unique design. In other words, he wasn't a copy of somebody else. He wasn't a knockoff of somebody else. He didn't have the, the, the which order of, of siblings are you? Are the firstborn that's the natural leader? Are you the thirdborn that gets spoiled? Are you the middle child that feels like nobody notices you? Right? He doesn't have, uh, he, he's not wrestling with all that. Here's what it says in chapter 13, verse 1. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. I don't have time to go into all this. This is just, just a big idea at the moment. But when you see that word again, I'm telling you, it happens again and again and again and again for the nation of Israel. Again, they did what was evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Philistines who oppressed them for 40 years. So for 40 years, they're in bondage. and 40 years, they're essentially in slavery. But here's the problem. And again, if you want to dive deeper, I'd encourage you to jump into Stephen Box's Wednesday night small group because when they get to this passage, they'll go in much more depth. But here's this reminder uh, in verse one, they were oppressed for 40 years. There were people that were oppressed for so long that somewhere along the way, they got comfortable with being in sin. They got comfortable in being in slavery. They got comfortable in being taken over by the enemy. And so they gave up. They were comfortable. But then in verse two, an angel of the Lord shows up and says to this man named Manoah and to his wife, Zorah, who was unable to become pregnant, this angel says in verse three, even though you have been unable to have children, even though you felt like, man, there's no hope, there's no way, there's, we're done. Even though you've been unable to have children, you will soon become pregnant and you will give birth to a son. And I guarantee you, you could have paused there just for a second. Anybody that's struggled with infertility and anybody that's struggled with just with all that's involved in this, I think would agree and say, you know what, as a, as a parent, they would have been okay if the angels just stopped there. You're going to give birth to a son. It would have been like, man, that's amazing. This is an answer to prayer. This is something we'd been hoping for. But the angel doesn't stop there. The angel goes on to say in verse four, so be careful, so be careful, so be careful. You must not drink wine or any other alcoholic drink. Don't eat any forbidden food. You will become pregnant and you will give birth to a son and his hair must never be cut. And here's why. So why is this angel giving all of these details? Why is this angel giving all of these restrictions? Here's why. He says, for he will be dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. A Nazarite is a, is, a, is a person that, that sells 
all out for God. This is a person that says, you know what? I, I, I wanna be used by God in such a special way. I'm gonna live a separate life. I'm gonna live a distinctive life. I'm gonna live a life that doesn't look like the rest of the world. And here's what this angel goes on to say. He'll be de- dedicated to God as a Nazarite from birth. He will begin to rescue Israel from the Philistines. In other words, Samson's not an ordinary child. Samson's not just a normal dude. Samson is somebody that God is going to use, look at verse 5, to rescue them, to bring them out of living for the day-to-day, out of the norm of feeling like they're in slavery, feeling like, man, there's no way that God's going to show up. And God says to them through this angel, says, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be the deliverer. And here's the reminder today, every single person on this planet has a purpose for their life. In a similar way that Samson had something he was designed to do, the Bible says that the Lord has numbered our days, that even in our mother's womb, he knows us, he knows who we are. And so when I look around this room, there's no accidents. When I'm thinking about who's on the other side of the camera, there's no mistakes. When I think about who is breathing on this planet right now, if you've got breath, there is purpose for you. There's something you're meant to do. And so for Samson, he had some unique reminders. He was told, hey, you're not supposed to drink alcohol. And this was something a Nazarite would would vow saying, hey, I'm not going to do that. There are certain foods that he he agreed, you know, I'm not going to eat those. Or his parents weren't going to feed it to him. That's that's part of this external sign. Hey, you're not going to cut his hair. He's going to have long hair. Now, I don't know what the hairstyle was. I don't know if he had the hard part. I definitely know that he didn't have a mullet. But here's what I do know, is there's something he was meant to do. When I look around this room, I see so much potential. I see men and women of all ages and stages. I see students. I see young adults. I see married people and single people. I, I, I see people that are, that are hitting reset in the middle of their lives. And I see people that have a purpose that they are meant to do. There's something you're meant to do. You're meant to know God personally. You're meant to walk with him daily. You're meant to live every day like it matters. You're meant to see your world as the mission field. You're meant to walk into the world and be the light of God in the middle of darkness. But just like Samson, what a lot of us wrestle with is we know that we have a destiny, but if we're not careful, we never accept what God calls us to do. And so if you were to go and to read all of these verses about Samson, what you find is somebody that never fully accepted, somebody that never fully accepted what God called him to do. And so he lived a frustrated life. Instead of fulfilled, he was frustrated. Instead of satisfied, he had this angst inside of him. And you see him live that out. And I see that so often in our world. I see men and women that are called by God and they're given this great purpose and yet somewhere along the way they, they get distracted by the job or they get distracted by retirement or they get distracted by the aches and pains of everyday life. They get distracted by something else that they forget. That they've got a purpose. Every parent, you've got an amazing purpose to help launch this child into the world to follow him. To every teacher, you've got an amazing purpose to give hope and dreams to that next generation. 
to every retired person, you've got a purpose that there's something that God means for you to do in a way for you to show the love of God in a tangible way. For people that work in entertainment, there's something you're meant to do. For every person that works in, in government, there's something you're meant to do. For every single person that works in the arts, there's something you're meant to do. For every single person that's in law enforcement and first responders, there's something you're meant to do. But if we're not careful, we'll never fully accept it. Number one, he, was, he had this unique design. But number two, that unique design was seen through undeniable demonstration. Undeniable demonstration. As Samson grew up, he did things that nobody else did. He did things that nobody else attempted to do. This guy had energy. This guy was captivating. This guy was somebody that caught people's attention. He had a unique design and he lived that out in such a way that people saw it. Let me give you one example. And again, there's no way we could look at all of his life today, but let me give you one example. In Judges chapter 15, verses 14 and 15, he sort of taunts the enemy. And it says in chapter 15, verse 14, as Samson arrived at Lehi, the Philistines came shouting in triumph, but the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson and he snapped the ropes on his arms. So finally, the enemy thinks, we've, we've got him, we've captured him, we've got all these ropes around him, there's no way he's going to break free. And it says, and he snapped the ropes on his arms as if they were burnt strands of flax, and they fell from his wrists. And listen to verse 15. Talk about a man's man. It says, then he found the jawbone of a recently killed donkey, and he picked it up, and he killed 1,000 Philistines with it. I think that should be our next Sugar Hill Church shirt, shouldn't it? Where's my jawbone? I don't know. <laughs> to everybody that thinks the Bible is boring, I'm saying you should read your Bible. There are a lot of crazy passages like this. And this is just one example. I mean, I could give you more examples. Let me just rattle them off. He killed a lion barehanded. He slayed 30,000 Philistines by himself. At one point he caught, listen to this, he caught, this sounds so unbelievable to me, that he caught 300 foxes, he tied their tails together, he put a torch in between their tails, and he lit them on fire so that essentially they, they ran through the fields like, holy cow, this is hot, and, and burned down the enemy's plots of land. I mean, on and on, he broke the bonds, he slayed a thousand men. At one point in chapter 16, he carries the gate of the city away. And, and later in chapter 16, he destroys the Philistines business uh, building that's there. Here's the big idea. Samson was incredibly strong in his body, but he had a dangerously weak will. Physically strong. Hey, look at me. I'm the man. I'm, I'm God's man. Look, at, I, I've got long hair and I, I can do whatever I want to. I, I, I've got this unique strength, this unique ability. And he took something that was meant for good and he used it in a bad way. Yes, he was incredibly strong in his body, but he was danger, dangerously weak in his will. And here's what Samson forgot. Samson forgot that his power was supposed to be a weapon to fight with. It was supposed to be a tool to build with, not a toy to play with. He took his God-given potential and he used it in his own way for his own glory. And it leads us to the big idea number three, he had unmastered desires. He literally was his own worst enemy. Here's what it says in chapter 16, verse four. It says, sometime later, sometime later, after all of these things, sometime later, Samson fell in love with a woman named Delilah. And all the women said, ooh. 
who lived in the valley of Sorek. If you're to look at, at Samson's life, you see him with God-given potential. Unbelievable possibility. Unbelievable opportunity. And yet you see him wasted away. You see him, uh, instead of defeating the enemy, taunting them. Instead of bridling those desires, he uses them in unhealthy ways. He ends up walking away from the altar of his marriage and comes back and finds out that his wife has been given away to somebody else. He ends up leaving and traveling 20 miles away to find a prostitute. He ends up falling in love with, in chapter 16, Delilah, somebody that's part of the enemy that he's not supposed to be with. And what you find in the life of Samson is that Samson didn't ruin his life in just one moment. He ruined it one step at a time. He made willingly, willing decisions one step at a time. Underneath this third idea, let me just give you some examples of how he had unmastered desires. A, he had lust, and lust is when you say, I want it. I want it. I want that person that my parents, and this is literal, in Samson's case, his parents told him not to marry the woman that he walked away from the altar from, and yet he's like, you don't know me like I know me. I'm going to go ahead and marry her. He lived from an emotion, this passion of lust. I want it. Nothing is off limits for me. The second one, B, is entitlement. Entitlement says, I deserve it. I deserve it. When he killed that lion with his bare hands, he began to get cocky and arrogant. Hey, I can do whatever I want to. He comes back later and he finds the carcass of this lion. He finds uh, bees that have taken up residence there. He finds honey. And even though there were things he wasn't supposed to eat, he did eat it. He's like, man, I deserve it. He had this mentality. Hey, I'm the man. I'm the guy. I did this amazing stuff. Nothing should be off limits. Lust, I want it. Entitlement, I deserve it. And then see pride, I can handle it. I can handle it. And you see over and over again through his story how he did things he wasn't meant to do. And it leads us to this last idea, number four. He had an unfulfilled destiny. He had an unfulfilled destiny. This is a a terribly sad example of a positive truth that God has something for your life and yet here's a guy that wasted away. He has this unfulfilled destiny. So finally, at the end of his life, um, God allows him to be captured by the enemy, he gives away the secret of his strength. The strength is taken away. The enemy gorges his eyes out. I mean, this is so violent and so, so despicable. After he had done so many awful things to the Philistines, they saw it as their chance to get back. So they, they gorge his eyes out. His strength is gone for a season. They bring him to this public gathering where they're mocking him and they're making fun of him. Finally, we won. Finally, we won. Finally, we got this guy. And it says that in uh, verse 27, that there was 3,000 men and women that were under this building that Samson was at. And so here's Samson mocked. Here's Samson being being made fun of. Here's Samson blind, not able to see, but he hears the crowd and he knows what's going on around him. And so it says in verse 28 that he prays to the Lord. And he says, sovereign Lord, remember me again. Oh God, please strengthen me one more time with one blow. Let me pay back the Philistines for the loss of my two eyes. Then Samson put his hands on two center pillars that held up the temple. 
And pushing against them with both hands, he prayed, let me die with the Philistines. And the temple crashed down on the Philistine rulers and all the people. So he killed more people when he died than he had during his entire lifetime. I mean, think about how sad this is. This guy could have been great. God could have used him in a more positive way to deliver the nation of Israel. Who who knows what the rest of his life could have been like if he had mastered his desires, if he had surrendered his calling, if he had taken seriously the plan that God has for his life, and yet he wastes it away. He uses it for himself. And part of his destiny goes unfulfilled. I get it. Some people are like, but Bobby, he took out people in the temple. But Bobby, didn't he get to fulfill it all? I mean, he ends up knocking down the pillar and 3,000 of the enemy uh, are, are wiped out in the moment. And my response to that is, but he had to die to do it. What a sad way to end your life and to wait to the last moment to finally do what God wants you to do. And I know this is sort of a really negative example, but I believe in this room. I believe watching online, you've got a unique design. I believe that there's something that God means for you to do, and if you're not careful and I'm not careful, we'll become our own worst enemies. And that while we've got time, while we've still got breath in our lungs, while we still have agency, the ability to choose, that we don't have to repeat the past, that we can say, starting today as best as I can, God, I'm going to make choices based on your spirit's prompting instead of my own leanings. I really believe that God could use every single one of you, every single one of you, to change the world. The truly satisfied life is the life that's surrendered, sold out to what God wants us to be. Before I pray for us today and before we just wrap our heads and our hearts around what God's doing, one of the things that God really used in my life a few years ago to help get me out of the drift and help get me out of just living day to day to day to day was something called a life plan. I'll never forget the first time somebody stood up and said, you know what, your life is what you largely choose it to be, that you can make choices, that you can have intentions, that, that just like many people have goals when it comes to their companies or goals when it comes to finances, in your life, in the, the major categories of your life, you can have an intention, you can have a, a, a compass that points you in the right direction. And that process I went through over a several day period of creating a life plan and setting goals for the year literally changed my life. And so here in a couple weeks, we're going to be facilitating a workshop that's designed for anybody that wants to know what should I focus on? Anybody that wants to know what they should do despite of how they feel. Somebody that's tired of not making progress in their spiritual walk and in their marriage and and, in their life in general. And they want to figure out how do I know where my life is going? And how do I make sure as I wrap up 2020 and start 2021 that I start with a fresh start? If that resonates with you, I want to encourage you to text the word HERO, H-E-R-O, to the number 770-749-7559. 
And I wanna invite you to get more information about this opportunity to plan based on who God wants you to be through a workshop called Hero on a Mission. Man, I think when I think of Samson, I think of a hero that could have been. I think about the magnificent that could have been. What would happen if you and I said, God, as best as I can, I wanna surrender my life to your plan. Let me pray for us this morning. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Would you close your eyes? And as I pray, I realize there's people praying online. If you're able to join us in praying, I I invite you to do that. If you're in the room, I invite you to pray. And as I pray out loud, I would love for you to pray personally, internally, in your head and your heart. For the believers that are part of today, would you pray, dear Jesus, dear Jesus, would you help me to discover your purpose for my life? Or maybe you've known it, but you'd just say, God, would you remind me of that day? Would you help me to rediscover it? And if there's some area where you've seen a little bit of Samson playing out in your life, would you just admit that to him? God, I've been struggling with lust or I've been struggling with pride or I've been struggling with this sense of entitlement or whatever that may be. I've been drifting. God, would you help me to come back home today? God, would you help me not wait until the end of my life to come to you? And maybe today as we pray, you don't know him. Maybe there's never been a moment that you've truly trusted him. Well, that's, that's where a life of purpose begins, is to realize that you're created to know him. But when we come into this world, we come separated with, from God because of our sin. There's nothing we could do about it ourselves. We can't be good enough. We can't try hard enough. We can't outgive. So God sent his own son, the one who knew no sin, he actually became sin. And he took your sin and my sin, and he took it to the cross. And he paid the price that I couldn't pay, you couldn't pay. And he made it possible for us to have a relationship with God, not based on duty, not based on behavior, but based on a relationship. And if that's never happened for you, man, if your, if your heart rate's increasing right now and you're like, what's that about? I'd say trust him today. Well, what does that mean? It means that you believe that Jesus died for you. It means that you believe that he's alive today. It means that as best as you can, you say, God, I'm gonna turn from my sin and I'm gonna turn to you. every day I'm going to try to live for you. I'm going to try to know you even more. And if that's where you're at today, I would invite you to pray this part of the prayer with me. It's not the words that that changes anything, it's the heart behind it. But to say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner and I know my sin separates me from you. But I believe you died on the cross for my sins and you're alive today. And as best as I know how, I ask you to forgive me of my sins and save me. Just ask him, would you rescue me? Would you save me? And Jesus, would you help me to live for you? 
If you pray that for the very first time, I would love for you to drop it in the comments below if you're watching online. If you're here in the room, I'd love for you just to text that to us or let one of our greeters know. We would love to put some resources in your hand this week to help you to grow. Heavenly Father, thank you for the reminder of today that we can be satisfied and we're most satisfied in you when we've surrendered. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, let's stand together. And before we leave this morning, man, Pastor Zach, Pastor Austin, if you don't mind, would you lead us one more time? Man, we love you guys. We're so grateful that we serve a God that's on the throne and he can handle this, amen. Let's sing this out together. Let's go with this on our lips.